Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of the Blatant Homers and Podcast, part of Sooner Sports Radio and the Vsporto Network. Uh, we are we have a special treat for you today. Uh, coming to you live from Naples, Italy. Dave Wonderlick of uh, Team Speed Kills, the uh, SB Nation SEC blog. We're going to talk about the uh, developments in college football realignment now, five years kind of after the fact. Let's go ahead and welcome him on. Dave, how you doing? Doing great. How are you, Alan? Doing very well. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, you told me you're out there in, uh, in Naples, Italy now. That is correct. My wife is uh, serving in the United States Navy, and they decided to send her out here, and I followed her. So um, I'm not just uh, someone from the southeast of the United States. I'm now from the south of, of Europe as well. Wow, wow. Well, that's that's a good idea to follow your wife when they get sent on assignment like that. So you're not that far from – you can just hop on one of those uh, hydrofoils they've got, right? Head over to uh, Capri, get a little limoncello maybe? Oh, Yeah. And uh, in fact, my landlord makes some really great limoncello. Nice, nice. Well, this is you're you're our first international guest, uh, you know, so to speak. So uh, you know, uh, this is uh, <laughs> we're definitely breaking barriers here today. So uh, anyway, though, you know, you've written a bunch on realignment in the past. You know, I mean, this is kind of seen as the five year anniversary, at least of when everything kicked off with Nebraska heading down to uh, heading, pardon me, heading up, I guess, to the Big Ten from the Big Twelve. Um, and it's it's inevitable that there's a lot of talk about winners and losers of realignment. You know, I mean, it makes for you know great talk radio fodder and uh, message boarding and and twittering and whatnot. But I mean, at this point, is it possible to make those kinds of calls? Yes and no. I mean, you we're not going to know the final call on, for instance, you know, teams that move to from major conference to major conference, like. Missouri and Texas A&M and West Virginia, you know, schools like that, Colorado. You know, I, it's amazing how quickly people forget things. Like the narrative in the offseason of 2012, which was just three short years ago, was that Mizzou was going to have a good time in the SEC because they kind of jumped up to a, a higher level there in their last few years of the Big 12, and they were going to the weaker SEC East. And then you had Texas A&M, which, you know, didn't do so great with uh, Sherman there. So they're moving to the big bad SEC West. So watch out, A&M's going to do awful, and, and Mizzou's going to do great. And then you know, Mizzou had their terrible injuries. A&M had Johnny Manziel, and all of a sudden, by Christmas time, it was Mizzou's way in over their heads. And mm-hmm. and now people are saying, hey, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate. Maybe maybe Mizzou was actually the better equipped team to switch conferences. That's what we were saying three years ago. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's just, it's amazing how quickly, you know, everybody forgets. Obviously, if you were not in a power conference and you got that lifeline, like TCU, Utah, Rutgers, uh, Louisville, if if you were in a non-power conference and you got bumped up to the big leagues, obviously you're a winner. And if you were in a power league like Cincinnati, UConn, South Florida, and now you're not, 
you were a loser. And and certainly, you know, Idaho and New Mexico State, they got caught without a conference at yeah. all when the WAC dis- dissolved. So it wasn't great for them. But, you know, it's it takes so long to, to judge some of these other things that making a final decision on, well, Mizzou's better in the SEC than they were in the Big 12. Maybe they are now. Maybe we'll look back in 20 years and say maybe not. Yeah, I mean that's and that's part of the the thing to me too is that uh, at least if we're just looking at football, I mean so much of uh, what's happening on the field right now with these teams was actually built really in their kind of in their previous arrangements. You know, I mean you look at for example at the the 2012 Texas A&M team that generated so much uh, you know kind of hype and was you know kind of launched this. Uh, you know, narrative that, well, uh, A&M is, is really thriving in the SEC. A lot of that, you know, a lot of that, the guts of that team were really built, uh, by Mike Sherman in the big 12. So, you know, I think, I think to a degree, at least personally, I think we go kind of overboard in talking about how realignment so far has affected things on the field. Certainly. And, and another entity, I would say that, Missed a, a great opportunity in the Mountain West because I actually looked up this timeline because I wanted to get it right. And on June eleventh, twenty ten, Boise State announced that they were going to the Mountain West, and that gave the MWC this great core of Boise State, Utah, TCU, and BYU. And if the Big Twelve did fall apart, then the Mountain West was poised to be the other power conference west of the Mississippi. Uh-huh. Now we know that the Big East was had its eye on you know the Kansas schools, Baylor. And Iowa State, um, but the Mountain West could have made a pitch to those teams. Hey, you know, it makes more geographic sense to come with us. And if you put those teams in, you know, with those that core of TCU, BYU, Boise State, Utah, like that could have been legitimately another power conference. Um, but instead, the Big Twelve stayed together. Uh, the Pac-12 took Utah on June sixteenth, and it just. You know, it, it all crumbled. It, it lasted five days, that, that uh-huh. beautiful vision that just wasn't to be. So, you know, the, the Mountain West, they're fine now, but they could have had more. And now of those four great core teams, they only have one. Boise State's the only one who's left. Yeah, I mean, so much of the of the smaller conferences. I mean, you look at uh, how the money now has been distributed, where recruits are going. Uh, uh, you know, so much with the Big East splintering that way really kind of hurt those. Uh, I guess now you know mid major programs, um, and there really doesn't yeah. look to be you know any type of way to really move up at this point. Yeah, and and you know it's funny. I, I was talking earlier about how easily we forget stuff. I forgot so much too. I was kind of going through the archives today, um, and and I found this little news update from June twelfth where Joe Shad, Mark Schlebach, and Andy Katz put up um, a, a big you know comprehensive report on that day's activities. And one of the things in it was that TCU wanted to keep Baylor out of the Mountain West as retaliation for what happened when the Southwest Conference <laughs> imploded. <laughs> And it's like those. There's just so many wonderful little details like that that it, it, they just slip from the mind. But it's like, man, that's that's just so great. The idea that TCU is like, aha, the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about you, it. That's you wouldn't it take us last time. We're not going to take you this time. 
Yeah, lines. it was and just you. You read about the uh, the Big East uh, con- TV contract negotiations, and if I remember correctly, and, and I you know I don't want to uh, I don't want to speak speak falsely about anybody, but I'm pretty sure it was Pitt that was one of the. Uh, you know, kind of uh, leaders there when they turned down that big offer. I think it was from NBC. I mean, it was a substantial offer, and Pitt was like, "Oh no, I think we can do better." And then, you know, a couple <laughs> months later, Pitt's gone to the ACC. Yeah, it turns out that was the royal we. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and the, and then you know, Gene DiFilippo, back when he was AD at Boston College, actually came out and said, "Yeah, ESPN is telling the ACC what to do," and then they ha- he had to go walk that back. Yeah, um, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. That's and that's definitely something else we'll get to is ESPN's role in all this. But you know, uh, I thought that uh, you know you did a series of pieces uh, a couple weeks back, looking kind of at how the dynamics have changed in recruiting for uh, the two new SEC teams, Missouri and Texas A and M, since moving from the Big Twelve. Um, can you kind of summarize those dynamics for us? What what you kind of what you found with how uh, Gary Pinkle and Tex and Kevin Sumlin are doing on the recruiting trail? Yeah, with Gary Pinkle, it was really interesting to look at him because obviously when Mizzou was in the Big 12, they looked to Texas, as everybody in that conference does, to get a lot of talent. And once they had that transition over to the SEC, um, the number of Texas recruits they signed each year went down. And the number that they started signing from SEC East states of Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee went up. I mean, I've got the, the chart right here in front of me. In 2012, Missouri signed six players from Texas. 2013 it was four, 2014 it was two, and then this past year signed zero. Um, whereas, you know, in that same time they went two one seven one from Florida, zero one three three from Georgia, zero zero three three from Tennessee. Like as the Texas signings went down, the SEC East signings went up, and I thought that was interesting that he started to do that right off the bat. Um, he didn't even wait to because we didn't know that um, Missouri was going to end up with Arkansas as their cross division rival at, at first. Um, just for the first couple of years, Missouri and Texas A&M were cross-division rivals. So Missouri was going to be playing to, you know, uh-huh. at school from Texas every year. Um, but he still started that transition away. And you know, it, from a quality standpoint, Missouri's doing basically the same thing it, it did in the past, where it, you know, two or three years of a class in the 20s or 30s, and then one really great year. And uh-huh. that was the way it was in the Big 12. That's the way they're doing it now. But where they're getting it has changed, and that's that's what it what's interesting with Texas A and M. It's it's the opposite. They always used to get all their players from Texas. They're still basically getting all their players mm-hmm. from Texas. So that hasn't changed, but their quality has gone way up. They, uh, you know, they used to, back in the Sherman days and the Fran days, they were getting you know twenty thirty percent of their their classes being blue chips, being four or five mm-hmm. stars, and with someone. Uh, it's been high 40s, or even in t- 2014, they were above 60% uh, of blue chippers. So they've been doing that. But um, what I found was that they, they still get almost all their players uh, from Texas. They have not really gone into the SEC West schools. Like He's signed a few players from Louisiana every year, but that was something that started under Sherman. Um, that was something Fran never did, but Sherman started recruiting Louisiana, and, and someone has kept that the same. And he's actually gone to... Arizona to get more players than he has any other SEC school other than Louisiana, which is just you know kind of fascinating. So um, that changed. He's you know getting a lot better players, but um, the geography really hasn't changed. And I know that um, you know our, our good buddy Chip Brown was reporting throughout all of that uh, 
realignment mess that Texas didn't want A&M to go to the SEC because they didn't want you know the barbarians at the gates to come in and start stealing all the best Texas players but the the non-A&M SEC schools are recruiting from Texas at exactly the same level over the past four years as they did prior to A&M's move it, it really hasn't changed anything at all yeah, and that's one of the interesting things to me too, because you you read a lot about uh, you know about that. You know, I think it was there's even an ESPN piece I remember reading earlier this year that was, you know, it was the the long and short was that the numbers don't say it, but you know, high school coaches uh, feel like the SEC is you know setting up setting up shop there in Texas, and I I, I don't know, I think it's a little bit early to uh, say those schools besides A and M are making those big inroads. I mean. Really, like you said, the numbers are about the same. Now, I, I'd be interested in looking maybe at the at the top tier talent, maybe the top 100 or something like that. Uh, but you know, I think for the most part, the big change has been uh, A and M just you know picking off so many of those highly rated guys. You know, looking here at their uh, class rankings uh, since 2012, I think they went from looks like 15 to 11 to 6 to 10. So you know that the the four, previous four years we're looking at 16 22 17 27 those are the rivals rankings so i mean clearly they've done uh quite a bit to really uh kind of kind of leverage that but then you know that also uh opens up the question though um do you think that has more to do with kevin sumlin or switching conferences I think the switch in conferences definitely helped them some because, you know, anecdotally we've seen some recruits say, yeah, I wanted to go to A&M because I wanted to play in the SEC. But, you know, is there a guy out there who's like, I got my top 10 factors and nine of them say I should go to Texas, but this 10th one, A&M in the SEC, like, I'm going to a and I, I don't think that's happening. Uh, Texas had a prestige that it alone could claim in the state as being the flagship. And now A&M can kind of drape the SEC's prestige around its shoulders and, and kind of pull even on that range. Um, and we've seen, you know, for instance, on the other end of the spectrum, Kentucky and Vanderbilt, their recruiting has steadily gotten better over the past 10 years. And some of that is James Franklin and Mark Stoops being great recruiters. But, you know, under their predecessors, it was still going up. So the SEC brand is helping. But ultimately, someone's offense and someone's just personality and energy, uh, I think, has made more of the difference. Because ultimately... It, He's got something nice to sell with the SEC brand. He still has to sell it. He's still got to close that deal. Um, and, you know, and I might even put Johnny Manziel second above the SEC brand um, behind really? someone because, yeah, yeah because he, he completely changed the perception. Like, when you think about Sherman's teams or Fran's teams or R.C. Slocum's teams, nobody looked at Texas A&M and was like, man, that's an exciting place. <laughs> and then Manziel, Manziel comes in, he's, he's playing street ball on grass. And, you know, he wins the Heisman Trophy. He's hanging out with Drake. He's got his little money gesture. Like, he's, he becomes a celebrity who hangs out with celebrities. And it's like, oh, you can do that at Texas A&M. This is an exciting place where people like Johnny Football are going to mm -hmm. be. And I think that probably has helped sell the program um, potentially more than, than just the SEC brand. Yeah, and that's a uh, that's an interesting point. And then the other thing too, I guess we got to look at it also from the Big Twelve side. I mean, how do you see recruiting in the Big Twelve? The dynamics there having changed with uh, with the defections. With uh, with Texas, um, Texas has actually their recruiting has fallen off some. 
Um, and some of that has definitely come at the expense of Texas A&M. Same thing with Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But some of that probably was staff decay. I mean, everything just kind of went down towards the end of Mac Brown's um, tenure there. And, and the recruiting actually held out fairly well until Mac Brown's last year. And then it was kind of like the writing on the wall. Um, and Oklahoma went through a, a couple of lean years there mm-hmm. in 2013 and 14 where their blue chip percentage went way down, especially in Texas. Um, and then this past year in 2015, they got it back up in large part from going to places other than Texas to find four stars. Um, it's going to be really interesting to, to see how things go with Charlie Strong because Charlie Strong is a southeastern guy. He mm-hmm. was an assistant at South Carolina a long time, then Florida a long time, then you know obviously Louisville. So he went and got, I think, four blue chippers from Florida, another one from Georgia, and another one from Virginia. And so Texas got their you know, blue chip percentage back up to close to what it was under Mac Brown. But it wasn't because they were pulling all the best players out of Texas. It was because they went to Florida and, and Georgia and Virginia and got some. And so we'll see if Charlie Strong gets that in-state recruiting up. But that, that's an interesting um, dynamic because if he continues to use those southeastern ties and pulls players from Georgia and Florida, that's going to open up more four stars for, you know, A&M and Oklahoma and, and all them to go after. And it may be that the overall talent among the programs that used to take all the, the Texas four stars actually in aggregate goes up because Charlie Strong is going to get players from other states. So I, it'll be really fascinating to see how things go. It's, it's so early and it's so hard to, to isolate everything because so much change happened at once. Um, but it, it's, it's really going to be fascinating to see how it changes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I've uh, try, I'm gonna, I'm working on a follow up to the piece you wrote about uh, A and M, uh, and you know, kind of siphoning some of those recruits away from Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in particular. And you know, it's kind of, it's interesting to me too because you mentioned it's hard to isolate these different factors. I mean, with 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 Texas in such a slide really in the last five years, and I mean Oklahoma, you know, treading water really. It's been hard to isolate well how much of the kind of the downturn in Oklahoma recruiting for instance is uh attributable to that and the fact that you know they've had a staff that's been there for 16 years you know you wonder if at some point the message is is getting a little stale um but you know looking at it I mean Oklahoma's you know really their their recruiting has kind of trended more towards the uh you know, class rankings in the 10 to 15 range since, you know, if you look, go back all the way and start back at 2000, uh, 2002 when rivals started ranking the classes. Um, but there's also, you know, kind of this interesting dynamic of how, how they're adjusting their recruiting, if at all, you know, looking at it, Oklahoma's kind of had a, under Bob Stoops had a, I don't know, a hit or miss relationship with Texas, it seems like. And you can see a pretty clear pivot, starting around 2010 2011 where they started look recruiting more nationally and then you know looking at the number of blue chippers they signed in 2012 2013 2014 you know they go down from you know they're averaging maybe you know six seven eight nine blue chippers out of texas in the years before down to more like into the two three one range so i mean you know and they're bolstering a lot of their class with kids from California or kids from uh, the Southeast. 
So it's uh, I, you know, I I don't know how much of that is attributable to A and M's you know move to the SEC and how much of it uh, really started though you know prior to that. There was a lot of I I, I, I do feel like there was kind of a frustration on OU's part with how things were going with recruiting in Texas when Mac was recruiting so well because I mean OU was for in a lot in a lot of cases you know dominating Texas on the field but you know Texas was still winning a lot of head-to-head recruiting battles so uh, I don't know if Bob Stoops is going to pivot back and focus on Texas if he's going to uh, you know keep the the view nationally it's I'm interested to see the composition of these classes going forward yeah, that, that is certainly going to be a thing to keep our eyes on. And like you mentioned, Oklahoma State is definitely a program that probably has suffered as a result of A&M coming up because they used to get two or three a year, and now they're getting one. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but if that one is Des Bryant and uh, you know he's going to Texas A&M now instead of going to Oklahoma State, you know that doesn't look good for Mike Gundy's future, especially since him and T Boone aren't getting along. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that too. Absolutely. So again, talking with Dave Wonderlick of uh, Team Speed Kills, let's uh, let's move to uh, you know more of the off the field stuff. You know, we've seen this rise of uh, conference networks. Obviously, the Big Ten Network started it all, but now we've got an SEC network, uh, a Pac-12 network, supposedly. There's an ACC network in the uh, in the offing, and then, uh, you know, there's obviously the uh, Longhorn network, the most controversial of that, the kind of uh, you know, unique approach that the Big 12 is taking with their third tier rights. I mean, I guess how do you see the rise of those networks and, and kind of maybe ESPN's power kind of influencing the direction of the sport in the future? I think that the their biggest influence, uh, along with realignment. Uh, is that the fig leaf of amateurism? I don't think is long for this world. Yeah. Um, you know, the SEC signed a monster contract for its time uh, back in 2008. I think collectively between ESPN and CBS, they signed about three billion dollars worth of long-term deal that year, and it didn't spawn a bunch of lawsuits because it was the same old paradigm. It's like, well, this is the same SEC, but I guess people value it more. So. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of money, but that's just market at work. Whereas from 2010, with all the realignment stuff and then with creating these networks, it, it's giving off the perception that these schools and these conferences are actively searching to get more money and not just accepting money that people are throwing at them. And so I, I do think that the ultimate legacy of these conference networks and realignment is that as Dan Beebe himself warned mm-hmm. back in 2010, yeah. uh, of all people, that um, you're, you're going to attract a lot of attention, and this is going to bring um, a lot more scrutiny on the amateurism model than I think the people in power want. And ultimately, I don't know how long it's going to take. Maybe the one that's starting this fall that, that is you know, the, the lawyer who's litigating it has explicitly said, I'm trying to destroy amateurism. You know, if... If that one succeeds, it'll happen sooner. If not, then later. But we're we're headed towards a point where the universities are going to have to decide uh, that they're either going to have to get rid of football entirely, or they're going to have to basically run minor league sports within their, the academy. And from just from an academic standpoint, that's going to be fascinating if if they go that route to see um, you know how all the professors and and whatnot um, how they deal with having you know minor league sports. Uh, sharing a, a campus with them 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there were so many different different factors I think that played in with realignment. I mean, there was so much. There's a, a lot. A lot of times people just reduce it down to, well, okay, where where are we going to get the most money? But then, you know, you try to explain stuff like, you know, the uh, the ACC standing staying together. And a lot of that, I think, is just due to really the fact that, you know, North Carolina, Duke, uh, those schools like, like life in the ACC. They like being surrounded by, you know, kind of what they view as academically prestigious uh, institutions. They like uh, the basketball-centric nature of the conference. That's where their their tradition is. Um, you know, you look at uh, uh, Texas with the Big 12. I mean, if Texas makes a move uh, to the Big 10, SEC, Pac-12, uh, the chances are that it's going to be pulling in even more TV money than it is now. But the, or, uh, down the line, I guess, would be a better way to put that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they got the chance to start their own TV network and it, by staying in the Big 12. Um, there was just so many of these kinds of, uh, you know, uh, oddities and, and kind of artifacts of the time. I mean, the idea, you know, that Rutgers made for a good ad for the, for the Big Ten, uh, at the time seemed so weird. I mean, looking at it now through the, the paradigm of, of, uh, you know, building out a TV network, it makes more sense, but, uh, you know, there's just so much of it that, uh, that's strange, but, Ultimately, though, I think the whole thing was perceived as such a kind of naked, naked cash grab overall. And you look at all at the new money that's flowing in, and the you know, uh, really the kind of the lack of, of the disdain or not or lack of, I guess would be more kind of uh, lack of concern about breaking up. You know, for example, the Texas Texas A and M rivalry or you know Nebraska leaving the Big Twelve. That I mean, it just was so so naked and 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 you know avaricious just the, the way that uh, the money just you know kind of uh, dictate seemed to dictate a lot of it. Yeah, and I will give the realignment process this. Um, to to borrow a metaphor I, I've heard in other contexts, um, that was when the tide went out and we got to find out who's wearing a bathing suit and who's not. Mm -hmm. Like everybody likes to to posture about, oh, we're important and. You know, this matters and this doesn't. Um, but when the chips are down and it's about survival and it's about who's, where are we going to be 100 years from now, as Texas A&M liked to say at the time, it's a 100-year mm -hmm. decision. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, well, you've got one of the best basketball programs of all time, and that's good for you. Um, but sorry, Kansas. Mm -hmm. uh, when, the, when it comes down to it, uh, that's, that's not going to get you in a power conference if you don't have Texas as your buddy. Um, you know, and it, it's just amazing that had that whole Pac-16 thing gone down, um, you know, we'd be looking at Kansas falling from power conference to non-power conference and probably still Rutgers elevating from non-power to power, which makes no sense mm -hmm. athletically, you know, unless the Big Ten decided to go for Kansas because I think they are an AAU school. But, um, it, you know, it's just, it's crazy that, that that's how it shook out. But um, it just goes to show that, that how much economics drives things these days because you know Kansas is a football aside is, is a pretty good athletic program you certainly would want to have that basketball program mm -hmm. in your league because they're they're gonna be a one two or three seed every year it's but you know when when it came down to it they were on par with Iowa State and I think that was probably really tough for Kansas to hear and because mm -hmm. like it, on that report I mentioned earlier about TCU and, and Baylor, there was another item in there about how Kansas was uh, trying to put out feelers towards the SEC, and the SEC was having none of it. 
Now, who knows if that's true or not, but, you know, it, it just goes to show. It's like, no, in, in, the, in the SEC, uh, basketball doesn't drive the bus, and Kansas just doesn't have, you know, the kind of TV market they were looking for. You know, Kansas City is, is technically in Missouri, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that pales in comparison to uh, what they could get out of Texas A&M with Dallas and Houston oh, yeah. and all that. So, oh, yeah. It, it's... It, it's it was crazy to go through, and I don't think we'll go through it again because a lot of people got a lot of scars and a lot of egos got bruised. Like the next year, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State uh, got fed up after A and M left, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're going to see if we can go join the Pac-12." And the Pac-12 is like, eh, "I don't yeah. think so." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, with Texas, sure, but just you two, no. Yeah, and you know that I'm sure that bruised a lot of egos there, Norman. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 a rough business. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I mean, as a fan, do you feel like realignment changed anything for you? I mean, is your, I don't know, interest or, you know, enjoyment of, uh, you know, specifically looking more at football? I mean, has any of that changed? Or, I mean, do you think it's pretty much status quo? Just overall love of the game has has not really changed. Um, It is disappointing um, to see how the SEC schedule turned out where, um, there's only one rotating cross division uh, spot, and they can fix this by going to a nine game schedule. So th- this mm-hmm. is not something that necessarily is, you know, forever. But it, it's like Florida used to play Auburn every year, and, and I am a Florida grad. Um, I'm back when the SEC had two designated rivalries um, for the, about the first ten years of, of their twelve team existence. You know, Auburn was Florida's other um, designated rival, and, and Florida and Auburn are not too far apart. So if if you wanted to go to that, you know pretty good environment there at, that at Auburn it was going to happen regularly and now Florida goes to Auburn once every 12 years yeah and 12, 12 years is a really long time um, you know you're talking about going from being a, a college freshman at age 18 to being almost potentially probably too old to travel to too many road games at age 78 and that game's gonna happen five times in that span. yeah yeah that's that's that is ridiculous that you know, Auburn fans have the opportunity to Gainesville, and, and Gator fans have the opportunity to go to Auburn. That's it's crazy, and obviously that doesn't affect me personally that much because yeah. <laughs> I'm not flying. I'm not flying back from Italy, but yeah. you know, just generally, it, you know, if I was, you know, another place we might get stationed is Jacksonville, and if we do go there, you know, I don't I don't have a schedule in front of me, but there's you know one out of four chance that that game could happen during the time I'm there, and and it probably won't, and that's kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, looking at you know, I mean, for example, I mean, you know, Oklahoma Nebraska rivalry breaking up. I mean, for me, is you know, they that got watered down. I think when the Big Twelve was first formed, I know you and Nebraska weren't playing every year, but uh, you know, not having Nebraska around, I think you know, I think really stinks. And there's something you know, I mean, again, Oklahoma started that, uh, you know, kind of. Back way back when, when they kind of sided with uh, Texas on that, but you know, still looking at it though, I mean, I I do think that stuff like that, the uh, more kind of the lack of um, understanding or recognition of their roots of of what built the sport, what made it so good, I, I that is the part that uh, I think if you're if you're talking about the future of the sport, I mean, people keep talking about. Um, 
how great college football is doing right now, and and I wonder because uh, you're going to get uh, maybe maybe more of a national product, but the stuff that really made college football so good is, seems to be changing. It does. I, I mean, it's those rivalries that are built up over generations, where you know parents are teaching their kids, you know, we don't like orange, we're mm-hmm. we're red, we hate orange. And, you know, they pass it on and they pass it on. And, you know, it's that's kind of going away in some places. You have opportunities to build new things. Um, not, even, not even talking about UConn and UCF here, but, you mm-hmm. know, talking about Ar- Arkansas and Missouri. That could turn into something. Um, yeah. The SEC yeah. certainly hopes that it will. Um, LSU and Texas A&M, that could be really awesome 20 years from now um, w- with a couple decades of shared experience. And then, you know, th- that won't replace Texas, um, it won't mean as much because it's a border rivalry rather than in-state, but, you know, that's a possibility. Um, but, because, I mean, ultimately, at, at some point, none of these rivalries existed and they had to get built yeah. up and you can build yeah. up new ones, but it just means it's going to be different. Um, it It is special if you have something that does go back forever, like, you know, George and Auburn have been playing each other since the late 1800s. Like, as as awesome as LSU and A&M could be in, in 20 years, it's still going to pale com- in comparison to that. And, yeah. and we are losing those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, kind of closing up, do you see any fault lines where uh, maybe in the next, say, 10 years we might have more movement? Like I said, with in regards to the lawsuits and everything, I think that probably has chastened everybody, and they're trying to... to, to perform some damage control here mm-hmm. by saying, oh, well, we're going to do cost of attendance and we're going to do, you know, maybe do a stipend of, of some sort or whatever. Um, I think that has gotten everybody to, to step back and say, okay, if we do this again, um, it's going to get worse and it, the amateurism is going to go away. And, you know, I, it still may go away even if they don't, but I, I don't think we're going to see large-scale realignment shuffling again until we hit the point where, it, it is just fully commercial and it's not about scholarships and it's not about, you know, uh, free education and it is about paying player salaries because, um, you know, the, like I said, the fig leaf of amateurism, it's hanging on by a thread yeah. and it's, it, it, it's going to be gone completely if they start um, playing musical chairs again. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a fair fair point. So, well, anyway, uh, Dave, let us know. Give us some of the stuff that you're working on, where everybody can find your work over there at Team Speed Kills and whatnot. Sure. So, TeamSpeedKills.com is my main place. You can find me on Twitter at Year Two. That's Y E A R the number two. Um, obviously, we're getting into summertime, so we're going to be doing season previews here before too long. Uh, right now, we're working through our, our way through the College World Series, and. Um, yeah, we've got a, a, a lot of good stuff coming up. And, uh, you know, SEC Media Days is coming up in July, about a month from now. That's always the craziest mm-hmm. non-sporting event in sports, <laughs> just about. Yeah. It's right up there with, with Super Bowl Media Days for, for being crazy. So um, got a lot of good stuff coming up this summer. Awesome. Well, hey, Dave, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out, especially coming to us all the way from Italy to uh, kind of hash all this stuff out five years after the fact. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thanks to our uh, guest, Dave Wunderlich from uh, Team Speed Kills. And thank you all for joining us. For the Blatant Homers and Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.